Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. This installment, The Man Who Was Lost, by Jacques Futrell, read by Perry F. Bruns. Part 1 Here are the facts in the case as they were known in the beginning to Professor Augustus S. F. X. Van Dusen, scientist and logician. After hearing a statement of the problem from the lips of its principal, he declared it to be one of the most engaging that had ever come to his attention, and... But let me begin at the beginning. The thinking machine was in the small laboratory of his modest apartments at two o'clock in the afternoon. Martha, the scientist's only servant, appeared at the door with a puzzled expression on her wrinkled face. "'A gentleman to see you, sir,' she said. "'Name?' inquired the thinking machine, without turning. He, 
He didn't give it, sir, she stammered. I have told you always, Martha, to ask names of callers. I did ask his name, sir, and he said he didn't know it. The thinking machine was never surprised. Yet now he turned on Martha in perplexity and squinted at her fiercely through his thick glasses. Don't know his own name, he repeated. Dear me, how careless. Show the gentleman into the reception room immediately. With no more introduction to the problem than this, therefore, the thinking machine passed into the other room. A stranger arose and came forward. He was tall, of apparently thirty-five years, clean-shaven, and had the keen, alert face of a man of affairs. He would have been handsome had it not been for dark rings under the eyes and the unusual white of his face. He was immaculately dressed from top to toe, altogether a man who would attract attention. For a moment he regarded the scientist curiously. Perhaps there was a trace of well-bred astonishment in his manner. He gazed curiously at the enormous head, with its shock of yellow hair, and noted, too, the droop in the thin shoulders. Thus for a moment they stood, face to face, the tall stranger making the thinking machine dwarf-like by comparison. "'Well?' asked the scientist. The stranger turned as if to pace back and forth across the room, then instead dropped into a chair which the scientist indicated. "'I have heard a great deal about you, Professor,' he began in a well-modulated voice, "'and at last it occurred to me to come to you for advice. "'I am in a most remarkable position, and I'm not insane. "'Don't think that, please. "'But unless I see some way out of this amazing predicament, I shall be. "'As it is now, my nerves have gone. "'I am not myself.' Your story? What is it? How can I help you? I am lost, hopelessly lost, the stranger presumed. I know neither my home, my business, nor even my name. I know nothing whatever of myself or my life, what it was or what it might have been previous to four weeks ago. I am seeking light on my identity. Now, if there is any fee... Never mind that, the scientist put in, and he squinted steadily into the eyes of the visitor. What do you know? From the time you remember things, tell me all of it. He sank back into his chair, squinting steadily upward. The stranger arose, paced back and forth across the room several times, and then dropped into his chair again. It's perfectly incomprehensible, he said. It's precisely as if I, full-grown, had been born into a world of which I knew nothing except its language. The ordinary things, chairs, tables, and such things, are perfectly familiar. But who I am, where I came from, why I came, of these I have no idea. I will tell you just as my impressions came to me when I awoke one morning four weeks ago. It was eight or nine o'clock, I suppose, 
I was in a room. I knew instantly it was a hotel, but had not the faintest idea of how I got there, or of ever having seen the room before. I didn't even know my own clothing when I started to dress. I glanced out of my window. The scene was wholly strange to me. For half an hour or so I remained in my room, dressing and wondering what it meant. Then, suddenly, in the midst of my other worries, it came home to me that I didn't even know my own name, the place where I lived, nor anything about myself. I didn't know what hotel I was in. In terror I looked into a mirror. The face reflected at me was not one I knew. It didn't seem to be the face of a stranger. It was merely not a face that I knew. The thing was unbelievable. Then I began a search of my clothing for some trace of my identity. I found nothing whatever that would enlighten me. Not a scrap of paper of any kind, no personal or business card. Have a watch? asked the thinking machine. Any money? Yes, money. There was a bundle of more than $10,000 in my pocket, in $100 bills. Whose it is or where it came from, I don't know. I have been living on it since and shall continue to do so. But I don't know if it is mine. I knew it was money when I saw it, but did not recollect ever having seen any previously. Any jewelry? These cuff buttons. And the stranger exhibited a pair which he drew from his pocket. Go on. I finally finished dressing and went down to the office. It was my purpose to find out the name of the hotel and who I was. I knew I could learn some of this from the hotel register without attracting any attention or making anyone think I was insane. I had noted the number of my room. It was 27. I looked over the hotel register casually. I saw I was at the Hotel Yarmouth in Boston. I looked carefully down the pages until I came to the number of my room. Opposite this number was a name. John Doan. But where the name of the city should have been, there was only a dash. You realize that it is perfectly possible that John Doan is your name? asked the thinking machine. Certainly, was the reply. But I have no recollection of ever having heard it before. This register showed that I had arrived at the hotel the night before, or rather that John Doan had arrived and been assigned to room 27. And I was the John Doan, presumably. From that moment to this, the hotel people have known me as John Doan, as have other people whom I have met during the four weeks since I awoke. Did the handwriting recall nothing? Nothing whatever. Is it anything like the handwriting you write now? Identical, so far as I can see. Did you have any baggage or checks for baggage? No. All I had was the money and this clothing I stand in. Of course, since then I have bought necessities. Both were silent for a long time, and finally the stranger, Doan, arose and began pacing nervously again. "'That a tailor-made suit?' asked the scientist. 
"'Yes,' said Doan, quickly. "'I know what you mean. "'Tailor-made garments have linen strips sewed inside the pockets "'on which are the names of the manufacturers "'and the date of the man for whom the clothes were made, "'together with the date. "'I looked for those. "'They had been removed, cut out.' "'Ah!' exclaimed the thinking machine suddenly. "'No laundry marks on your linen either, I suppose?' No, it was all perfectly new. Name of the maker on it? No, that had been cut out too. Doan was pacing back and forth across the reception room. The scientist lay back in his chair. Do you know the circumstances of your arrival at the hotel? He asked at last. Yes. I asked, guardedly enough, you may be sure, hinting to the clerk that I had been drunk so as not to make him think I was insane. He said I came in about eleven o'clock at night without any baggage, paid for my room with a one hundred dollar bill which he changed, registered and went upstairs. I said nothing that he recalls beyond making a request for a room. The name Doan is not familiar to you? No. You can't recall a wife or children? Do you speak any foreign language? Is your mind clear now? Do you remember things? I remember perfectly every incident since I awoke in the hotel, said Doan. I seem to remember with remarkable clearness, and somehow I attach the gravest importance to the most trivial incidents. The thinking machine arose and motioned to Doan to sit down. He dropped back into his seat wearily. Then the scientist's long, slender fingers ran lightly, deftly through the abundant black hair of his visitor. Finally they passed down from the hair and along the firm jaws. Hence they went to the arms, where they pressed upon good, substantial muscles. At last the hands, well-shaped and white, were examined minutely. A magnifying glass was used to facilitate this examination. Finally, the thinking machine stared into the quick-moving, nervous eyes of the stranger. "'Any marks at all on your body?' he asked at last. "'No,' Doan responded. "'I had thought of that and sought for an hour for some sort of mark. There's nothing. Nothing!' The eyes glittered a little, and finally— in a burst of nervousness, he struggled to his feet. "'My God!' he exclaimed. "'Is there nothing you can do? What is it all, anyway?' "'Seems to be a remarkable form of aphasia,' replied the thinking machine. "'That's not an uncommon disease among people whose minds and nerves are overwrought. You've simply lost yourself, lost your identity. If it is aphasia, you will recover in time.' When, I don't know. And meantime? Let me see the money you found. With trembling hands, Doan produced a large roll of bills, principally hundreds, many of them perfectly new. The thinking machine examined them minutely, and finally made some memoranda on a slip of paper. The money was then returned to Doan. Now what shall I do? asked the latter. Don't worry, advised the scientist. I'll do what I can. And tell me who and what I am? Oh, I can find that out all right, remarked the thinking machine. 
But there's a possibility that you wouldn't recall even if I told you all about yourself. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.